0: You know, the Bible is full of accounts of all kinds of people, and if you've been reading the Bible for a long time, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, uh, you've probably noticed that. Uh, For those of you who are new to the Bible in here, let me just tell you, um, there are stories that will blow your mind in the Bible, and you'll see that God chooses to use some of the most unlikely people for his kingdom and for his purposes, And so for us, that should be good news, because when I look at myself, sometimes I go, no way God could use me, right? Here's what we see. We see, uh, as we read through the Bible, that God chooses to use people with backgrounds of being crooks, prostitutes, religious zealots, outcasts. God even chooses to use murderers for his kingdom. And so the uh, section of scripture that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks, uh, you may want to make a note in your Bible. You may want to come back and read it uh, a few different times. It's 1 Corinthians 1, uh, starting in verse 26. Here's what it says, "...for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards." So they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, right? "...not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble, noble birth." So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. <clears throat> you know, I've been married for just over ten years now, and uh, some of you guys know Allie. You know her family. Um, I would tell you uh, that if if they weren't in here today, I would tell you uh, her immediate family is incredible. They're um, phenomenal, and um, now. I'll, Interestingly enough, and I think some of you guys will resonate with this, the the, the extended family is interesting. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody's got that uncle who has a story, or that cousin who you just have to say, I'll I'll tell you about them later, all right? Well, Allie's grandparents, some of you guys have heard me talk about them in Connect 4, uh, before and they, they're amazing. Uh, her granddad is 93. Um, he is still, to this day, sharp as a tack. Her grandmother, uh, Maisie, is 87, I believe, and uh, makes what is quite possibly the most fantastic breakfast known to man. I got to have it yesterday. Fried eggs, bacon, toast. Man, it's so good. But her grandparents have this amazing way of repurposing things. See, they grew up in the Depression, and so they got used to finding purposes for things other than what their original purpose was. And I'm sure that's not that different than some of your grandparents. I mean, grandparents always have kind of strange things in their house, right? To this day, probably many of your grandparents have a television that's still a piece of furniture. They probably still have a landline telephone, They probably have closets that are full of trinkets, and they have phone books. (laughs) Grandparents always have phone books. It's crazy. I'm going to just get off on a tangent here for a second. I'm sorry if you work for the phone book company, but when I come walking up to my house and uh, I see a phone book on the front step, I just, I just throw it away. I mean, I probably shouldn't. I should probably recycle it, but I, but I, just, I just throw it away. I mean, I'm going to tell you guys. On, I'm going to let you know on a secret. It's called Google, <laughs> right? But Allie's grandparents had this amazing way of repurposing things. And <clears throat> so when I came into the family and, uh, you know, we went to her grandparents' house for the very first time, I remember going in, just like any good West Texan would, going into the kitchen, and I was going to get a glass of water, and I saw her uncle Thad there, and I, I said, Hey, Thad, um, do they have an RO system? And he's like, kind of looked at me like, no. And uh, I said, Well, where, where do they have their RO water? And, and he points over to something, and I, I could tell you what it is, but I don't feel like it would do justice, okay? So I say, Thad, where's the water? And look up on the screen, that you'll see, here's what it is. Now this, you'll know, I mean... That's a bleach bottle, and that's a vinegar bottle. And yes, it has a little piece of masking tape with the date on it and all this kind of thing. I guess water can expire, whatever. But I, that's weird, isn't it? It is to me. So as I spent more time with the family, I just, you know, it became normal to me. Every time I'd go to Amazing Papa's house, I'd go in there and get my bleach bottle of water and, okay. But I always had this lingering thought in the back of my mind, what if they get it wrong? (laughs) And then it happened. Christmas Day 2013, not that I'm keeping records or anything, Maisie has made the most amazing roast. Twice baked potatoes, cream corn, green beans, pumpkin pie. Apple pie, pecan pie. I know you guys are getting hungry. I was that night. I, you know, had almost nothing to eat that day because I was looking forward to that dinner so much. And uh, so, get my get my plate. Walk back over to the table. Sit down. Papa says his prayer. The same prayer every year. It's amazing. I'm ready to dive in. Reach for my water glass. Take a swig. It's bleach. No, just kidding. It was just vinegar. Didn't ruin my meal or anything. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, my brother in law Chris, but he grabbed the vinegar bottle. I could have died. What if that was bleach? <laughs> oh man. I bet, you know, it's funny when I think back to that story and I think of how it applies to God and how he is amazing at repurposing people. That's what he does. So today, we're going to take a look at a guy named Matthew. You may have heard of him. He has a book in the Bible. So we're going to read from Matthew 9. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 9, verse 9. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can look up on the screens. Here's what it says. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Huh, that's interesting. Matthew's writing the book, and there he is, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, I want to take just a few minutes uh, to tell you a little bit about Matthew. I want to take a few minutes maybe to put on the hat of a teacher uh, and let you know about some of the social customs and norms um, of this culture. Matthew was writing to the Jew, so he wouldn't need to explain Jewish culture. He wouldn't need to explain customs. The reader of Matthew would already be familiar with these things. And I was trying to think uh, how I could explain this to you guys uh, in West Texas, and I thought of a couple examples that would make sense to you, the West Texan, or you, the American, that might not make sense to somebody else. And so, A few weeks ago, Allie and I were out in California and we met these these young guys. They were probably in their early 20s. Um, They were from Australia. They had these big bushy beards and they had been traveling. They were gonna, uh, they had actually bought a cab weird, over in San Francisco, and they were going to drive it up the West Coast, up into Canada, and and so we struck up this conversation with them. Um, Allie really was the one who struck up the conversation. I was kind of like, and so she strikes up this conversation with these guys, uh, and and somehow or another, they hear that we're from Texas, and they make this kind of joking comment like, well, you guys don't have guns, do you? Well, we're from West Texas. So we start talking about it, and I I start explaining to them a little bit about, you know, the open carry law and the closed carry law. And the guy looks at it, and he's like, you can have a gun? (laughs) I mean, to the Australian, the fact that we can carry a gun around, it it just blows their mind. How about another, another example that will play out here in a week and a half? We've got Thanksgiving coming up. Let's try to explain Thanksgiving to somebody from China or maybe from Ethiopia. Okay, so we're going to wake up at about 5.30 in the morning, and we're going to stick the turkey in the oven, and we're going to start making all of this food, and we're going to spend pretty much all morning, maybe even started on Wednesday, right? Fixing pies and all those kind of things. And uh, so we're going to spend all morning cooking. Uh, At which point we'll turn on the parade at some point and have that kind of in the background and you know We're milling around all morning. Uh, It's finally time to eat. So it's about it's about Two o'clock or so, because we know the Cowboys are coming on at three o'clock, so we gotta get that in. It's always kind of stressful, right? And so we get, we get going and we eat more than we should ever possibly eat in probably, you know, three or four weeks, but that's what we do on Thanksgiving, gotta put on my fat pants, okay? And so, so then we finally stumble into the Cowboys game, we kind of waddle into the Cowboys game, and we get real angry because Romo just won't come back, right? At which point, we finally give up. Cowboys are going to lose again. So I'm going to go in. I'm going to take a nap. I'll wake up at midnight. And I'm going to go stand in line at Best Buy all night to save $100 on a TV. (laughs) That's Thanksgiving. I don't have to explain Thanksgiving to you guys. You're familiar with it. Matthew wouldn't have to explain Jewish culture to the Jew. He called himself Matthew which is interesting because this same account we see in Mark and Luke. But they don't refer to him as Matthew. They call him Levi, which was probably his surname. It was a more honorable name. But Matthew is a tax collector, so he calls himself Matthew the tax collector. Now, why does that matter? Well, Matthew was a Jew, and he had been appointed as a tax gatherer. Now, I say appointed because in culture uh, during this time, the tax gatherer was basically sold by the Roman government to the highest bidder. So Matthew was considered a traitor by the Jews. Matthew had basically sold his soul to become wealthy, and most of the Jews, like I said, would consider him a traitor. We see this play out in, uh, in another account, Uh, in in the Gospels about a wee little man. A wee little man was he he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted to see his name was Zacchaeus. Goldfish and gold stars for everybody. You guys are so good. (laughs) Tax gatherers, tax collectors were hated. They were disgusting. They were despised. They couldn't go to the temple and as we'll see later in this passage, they really only hung out with other sinners and tax collectors. I was trying to think of somebody earlier in the week uh, who, would, who would get the same kind of outrage in our culture today. And this, I was actually thinking about this on about Wednesday, um, and then all this stuff played out on Friday over in Paris, but the only person I could think who might get the same kind of disgust would be somebody who's from America, who was born a U.S. citizen and decides to leave and go join ISIS. That's how, that's how the Jew would look at the tax collector. They thought he was a traitor. Matthew's office probably looked just like this, I would guess. It was located on the main highway that ran from Damascus down the Jordan Valley down to Capernaum. And there's some of you guys in here who have been over to the Holy Land, and uh, so when I say these names, uh, it kind of comes alive. You're like, oh, I've been there. I know where Damascus is. I know that Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, But there's a lot of us in here also who go, say what? Where is that, right? So you got to kind of open up the front of your Bible to the maps section, and you're looking for that. So I thought, well, let's bring some maps up, and you guys can see them. Uh, up on the screen, you'll notice we'll have kind of the, the far-off view just so you see where, um, where Damascus is. So up on the top there, kind of over on the left side, you'll notice that's Italy. We got Greece kind of in the middle up on top. Down below that is, is uh, Africa and Egypt, where Cairo is. And then way over on the right-hand side, you'll see Lebanon, and just below that is Damascus. And then I'm going to have our guys zoom in for us real quick. All right, so now up on the top right is Damascus, and way down at the bottom is the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum is kind of right up on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Matthew, his job or his duty was to collect taxes— Matthew knew the value of goods of all description. He could list off at any moment he could tell you what wool or flax, linen, pottery, brass, silver, gold, barley, wheat, olives, figs, and any number of other goods were worth. He probably knew both the value of the local monetary system as well as foreign monetary systems. Matthew was probably very, very bright. He probably knew the local Aramaic language language as well as Greek. But just like other tax collectors, here's what Matthew would do. He'd collect what the Roman government asked him to collect, but he'd overcharge people. He'd take some off the top, and he became very, very wealthy. And I think he knew exactly what he was doing which is where it gets so interesting in Scripture. And, you know, Capernaum, I mentioned Capernaum earlier, is known as Jesus' own town. It was a cultural melting pot, a wealthy city. It was a customs post for fishing and for trade. So let's dive back in to these Scriptures and see how this plays out. Verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now I want you to just imagine, knowing what you know about the tax collector now, there's probably a big crowd following Jesus. Jesus goes up to this guy, Matthew. He's messed up. We know Matthew is shady. And Jesus goes up to him and he says, follow me. Now what do you think the crowd, how do you think they reacted when they saw this? I would imagine there was an audible gasp say, what? Do you know who Matthew is? I mean, I just imagine how that played out. And Jesus just says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Now, it's interesting. If you flip back probably just a page in your Bible, uh, there's another account of a couple of guys in Matthew 8 who want to follow Jesus. And I, it, it's interesting to kind, to kind of contrast them and see how they respond. So Matthew eight eighteen. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave or- orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe, who was probably a teacher of the law, maybe a Pharisee, came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now let's look at how this probably was really playing out because it sounds good. But this guy's probably been following Jesus. He knows he's starting to grow uh, in prominence. He's thinking, man, Jesus is going to be staying in the five-star hotel. He's going to be eating at the finest restaurants. But here's what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. I think Jesus knew this guy's heart. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but here's what I guess, what I would guess happens. I think the guy goes, I'm out. I'm not willing to follow you. All right, so then there's another guy comes up. This one's actually, in verse 20, is referred to as a disciple, or verse 21, as a disciple. Another one of the disciples said to him, let me first go and bury my father. And upon first notice, I would guess, um, I, when I first noticed this, I would guess that, man, it seems like Jesus is just not very heartfelt. It's probably one of the most insensitive things when I first read it that I would think Jesus uh, has ever said. And here's what he says. He says, First, Lord, uh, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. No, I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I, I go, What? But here's what Jesus knows. What this guy really wants to do is he wants to go back until his father dies so he can get his inheritance, and then I'm all in, Jesus. But Matthew, that's not how he responded at all. Matthew was different. He immediately got up and followed Jesus. He left his life of sin and deception and simply followed and obeyed. Verse 10 of Matthew 9. As Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, whoa, 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 hold on. Just a minute ago, we were at the tax collector booth, and you were taking this shady guy and saying, follow me. Now you're at his house? I think I remember this in another story, because I'm going to your house today. Remember, you remember this? Okay, Zacchaeus, same thing, right? So all of a sudden, he's at Jesus, or he's at Matthew's house, And it says, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Man, Matthew met Jesus, left all that stuff behind, and said, Hey, I'm throwing a party. In Luke, actually, it tells us that he throws Jesus a great banquet. It's fascinating. Jesus rescues Matthew out of this life of deception and sin. And Matthew invites all his friends. I would guess in here today, some of us need to invite our friends to meet Jesus. There's probably a whole other group of us in here that need to stop living as a not-so-ethical businessman, maybe leave our sin behind, and start following Jesus. Let's see what happens. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now I resonate with this question. I probably would ask the same question. Do you know Matthew? Are you aware how long he's been ripping people off? But Jesus, verse 12, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. This is interesting, right? Because these teachers of the law spend their whole life studying. So when Jesus says, go and learn what this means, he's referring back to Hosea 6.6. It's fascinating. He's saying, you know this stuff, but it's not right here. And it's certainly not playing out in your life. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Today, this should be good news to us. In fact, this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ and that he lived the life that I should have lived and that you should have lived, and then he died the death that I should have died in my place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins to all those who would repent and believe in him. I would guess in this room today, there are many of us who simply need to follow Jesus. Amen. And it seems, it seems sometimes like, oh man, it's so hard. I got I got to get this out of my life. I got to get, get this out of my life. Well, I didn't see that with Matthew. He just popped up, immediately obeyed Jesus and followed him. So I'm going to give you guys an opportunity for those of you who are ready to follow Jesus today. I'm going to ask you just to reach in front of you in the pew back. There's a little purple and white book. It's called the one-to-one book. And here in just a minute, after we get done praying, we're going to have some prayer workers right up here in the front. And you can just bring that book up and you can just say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And those guys are going to pray for you and probably find a time to walk you through the one-to-one book. See, the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts, that we will be saved. So I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you, if that's you and you're ready to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you, you can just mouth these words of this prayer and believe it in your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, I am a sinner, and I am in desperate need of a Savior. I confess with my mouth right now that I need you. I'm sorry for my sin, and I ask today, that you would wash me clean. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And I ask this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think there are a whole other group of people of us in here um, that God is calling to immediately obey. See, I'm a father. I have a little two-year-old. She's about 60% sweet and about 40% sour. She obeys probably about 30% of the time. About 70% of the time, she wants to do her own thing. But as a father, my heart gives grace when she doesn't obey. But my heart comes alive when she does obey. And I think today... If we look at Matthew, we can see that God chose to use him because he immediately obeyed. He invited his friends and God used that gift that he had given him of being an incredible record keeper to tell the greatest story ever told. See Matthew was shady before he met Jesus, but he wrote the Gospel of Matthew that has literally led millions of people to Jesus. And I think God can use you if you're willing to walk in obedience. So I would just ask the question as we wrap up today, what do you need to be obedient in? What would your life look like this week if you were to walk in obedience to Jesus? I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you uh, for the example of Matthew. And God, we thank you that Jesus uh, invited him to follow and then you used him for your kingdom. And so I pray for these people in here today uh, who want to follow you, who want to obey you. God, would you use them in your kingdom? And Father, I just thank you for the gift of salvation. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.